I invite you once again to take up God's holy word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. This morning we will be looking at verses 14 through 30 of the 25th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. This is the last parable. As we conclude our series on the parables of Jesus, this is the last parable that Jesus teaches to his disciples and to us as he prepares to be betrayed and handed over and go through all of his trials, his sufferings leading up to the cross, to his burial, and triumphantly to his resurrection. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servants! You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father, you have spoken. Jesus Christ, you have revealed your word to us as the word of God. Holy Spirit, you have inspired those who have written down the Holy Scriptures for us. And so we ask that you would work together to open our eyes, our minds, and our hearts. 
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us, that you would train us, correct us, and rebuke us for all righteousness. And that we would be sanctified by your word. And that you would be glorified as your word goes forth. To your praise and glory, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Last week, Jesus left us with the words, be prepared and keep watching. That is, we must be ready for the imminent return of Jesus at any moment. At the same time, we who are alive today acknowledge that 2,000 years have already passed, and there could possibly be 2,000 or more years before Christ's second coming. We do not know the day or the hour. So what are we to be doing while waiting? We are called to have one eye toward the future and the coming of Christ, and that was the, the parable of the ten maidens from last Sunday. But in our parable today, we are also called to have one eye on the present. You see, our waiting for Christ to come back is not a, a passive waiting where we can just sit back and relax and kick our feet up and just simply wait until Christ return. Rather, our master has entrusted us with a stewardship. You and I have work to do while waiting. Last week's parable focused on the future. Today's parable focuses on the present. And first, in verses 14 through 15, we see that God entrusts all people with a portion of his resources. God entrusts all people with a portion of his resources. Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to a master who is going on a journey. And in this journey, he's going to leave the management of a portion of his belongings to his servants. Now, it's not made explicit in scripture, but in all likelihood, these servants would not have been merely slaves, but would have been virtually like partners, like business partners, getting a, a share of the profits, and they would be highly skilled in business management. So to the first servant, the master leaves five talents. To another two, and to the final servant in verse 15, he gives one talent to him. Now on first glance, one talent may not sound like much, I don't know what pops into your mind when you think of being given one coin. Perhaps you think of a, a penny or a nickel or a dime, but, but that's not what's going on here in this parable. A talent was an incredibly large sum of money, roughly equivalent to 20 years' worth of wages. So this is definitely not a picture of poorness. And it speaks, does it not, to the trust that this landowner, this master, has in his servants. He leaves one servant $5 million. If you make 50000 a year, and it's worth 20 years' worth of wages, that's equivalent to $5 million. Another, he leaves $2 million if the average salary is $50,000 a year. And the last, he leaves one million dollars. There's a great level of trust as well as a great level of responsibility. 
But what is important to notice here is that this money does not belong to the servants. It belongs to the master, and he entrusts it to their care with the expectation that they will be faithful stewards of what has been entrusted to him in his absence. There is some level of clarity as to what Jesus is talking about here when he likens the kingdom of heaven to this. The manner of the master in this parable is Jesus. And his journey is his departure from this world for a time. And the servants are the visible church. Those who have a profession of belonging to Jesus, of being his children. And Jesus has entrusted to each of us here a stewardship over a certain level of both physical and spiritual resources. Calvin writes this, quote, Till the last day of the resurrection, Christ, in some respects, goes to a distance from his people. But yet, it would be highly improper for them to sit down in idleness and do no good. For each has a certain office enjoined to him in which he ought to be employed. A a certain lot in life given to you by God in which you are to use in faithful stewardship to render back to God. What we have been entrusted with or what we have not been entrusted with whether it's our spouse, our children, our job, our health, the number of days on this earth which is unknown to us, every skill that we have, everything we are good at, everything we are interested in, as well as spiritual abilities that have been gifted to us by God, it all belongs to the Lord. It is the Lord who makes poor and makes rich. It is the Lord who makes sick and makes healthy. It is the Lord who makes disabled and abled. Every single circumstance and lot and light ultimately goes back to the decree of God who is perfect and wise in his holy counsel. And he entrusts us with that situation to work and to use it for his glory physically as well as spiritually. Notice in verse 15 it says, each according to his ability. In the parable, this means the master, Jesus Christ, God himself, has evaluated each servant and determined each one's prowess or skill. They are all skilled. It's simply a matter of degree. He determines that you are skilled enough I'm going to give you five talents and because I'm the one that gave you the, the skill to handle five talents. And I'm the one that's given you the skill to handle two talents. And I'm the one who's given you the skill to handle one talent. It is the master's evaluation. And some are better at it than others because it's the master who has determined how much skill, how much possessions, physical and spiritual, each one is going to receive to handle with care. means that those things we possess in this life, both physically and spiritually, have been given to us based on God's determination. It is God who has made you and me suitable and skilled with the particular skills that each of us have. It is God's wise and holy counsel, not anything within us, 
that determines what we have been given by our master to steward. God entrusts people with a portion of his resources. Each and every one of you have been uniquely created and designed by God with a purpose that he has in mind for each and every one of you. My purpose, my skills, and everything that makes me who I am is not your purpose and your skills and everything that makes you who you are. All of your skills, your gifts, your interests, your enjoyments are blended by God into the one person that is you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But we're not clones of one another. Your passion for Alabama football. I know all of you love to say roll tide. My passion for Alabama football, that's designed by God. Your passion or skill for music. That's designed by God. Your passion or skill with gardening and farming, that's designed by God. Your passion and skill for the church, for technology, for people, for food, for showing compassion, for being kind, with medicine, all of it is given to you by God. We, everything that we have, everything that we are, has been entrusted to us by God. God gives a portion out of his richness and abundance to all people, but especially to the visible church. Second, we see God's expectation is to increase the yield of his resources. God's expectation is to increase the yield of his resources from verses 16 through 18. Now, it, Jesus doesn't make it explicit in the parable, but we see by the actions of the first two stewards that there was an understanding. He wasn't just giving them some money to do with what they pleased. He was giving them to this money with the expectation that they were going to use what he had entrusted to them. The two of them immediately, look at verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once. And traded with them. So also, verse 17, he who had the two talents, implying that he also goes at once. They immediately go out and begin to use the talents and invest the talents, and they end up increasing the yield of their master's resources. And they both doubled what had been given them to steward by the master. We are caretakers, expected to work diligently and faithfully with what God has placed in our hands to bear fruit for him while we are on this earth in between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. It is God's share. It is God's portion, which he has entrusted to us for an interim to use to yield to his increase. I had a professor in seminary who said, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Now, I don't think either of those are good, but his point was, is if I'm going to err, I'm going to err by doing too much rather than not doing anything at all. To let the, the master's stewardship just sit there and, and rust from lack of use. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 about the different gifts that have been given to the church according to the grace of God. Some have gifts of service. 
Some have gifts of mercy. Others have gifts of teaching. And we are all to be faithful stewards, not only of our physical possessions, not ever what God entrusts us in this earthly life, but also this spiritual life, our spiritual giftings. I remember uh, when I first joined uh, my church back home before moving up here for seminary, one of the ministers met with me and got to know me and he said one day to me, I think you would be a great fit to serve in our church library. He knew I was in graduate school at that time studying scripture. He knew I wanted to go to seminary and I had a great interest in studying God's word. He saw my love of books and my academic inclinations and he got me plugged into a ministry avenue of the church that fit who I was and what my desires and passions were. I could have been used as a greeter. I could have been used in the kitchen or elsewhere, but that wouldn't have been a good fit. You didn't want to taste my cooking at that point in time. It wouldn't have been a good fit at that time. But this pastor saw what God had given to me and the way that he had made me and, and shaped me as, as the potter shapes the clay, and he directed that and channeled it toward a, a fitting avenue of service in the church. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied grace. It is God's grace that has given us all that we have, but, but there's a variety within that grace because we don't each have the same exact things in the same proportions. God gives different. He gives a variety of gifts in his grace. And he gives different levels of those gifts to his people for them to be used. You see, the giftings and the possessions do not truly belong to us. They belong to our master who expects us to use them and to use them faithfully to yield an increase. One of the great rediscoveries of the Reformation was tearing down the veil between the sacred and the secular. The Reformers saw from their studies of Scripture that all of our life was to be spent in service to God. You didn't have to be a priest to be more holy than people and to be closer to God than others. But all of our life is to be lived and spent in service to God. If you were married, you were called to be a faithful steward, faithful steward of and to your spouse. And we have plenty of instructions of what that looks like from Scripture. Don't cheat. Don't lust. Sanctify one another. Worship God together. Pray for one another. Enjoy one another's company and intimacy. If you're a parent... You're called to be a faithful steward of your children. Raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Teach them to fear God. Instruct them in the ways of God. Help them memorize scripture and teach them the catechism. Take them to church. Help them to love the church. Help shape and mold their God-giving gifts and abilities as you prepare them to go off for their own life and their own career and vocation. If you have a gift of service, use it to serve God's people. Use it to serve unbelievers. 
Let your good works glorify God that the world may see and give glory to him as well. If you have a gift of teaching, use it to teach God's people. Use it to explain and defend the faith to unbelievers. If you're called to be a plumber, be the best plumber to the glory of God. Don't price gouge your customers. Treat them with respect. Be honest with them. Whatever your called and vocation, work as unto the Lord. One Reformed minister puts it this way, quote, vocation is taking your skills and applying them to the particular plot of life that God has given you. The plots of our lives vary, but our purpose is the same, to bring the principles of God's kingdom to bear in every area of life, end quote. Yes, we use our spiritual gifts in service to God and his church and outside the church, but we also use our, our physical gifts, our enjoyments, our hobbies, even our relaxation to bring glory to his name. All of life is to glorify God. As another commentator puts it, quote, In the kingdom of Christ, not all are created equal, nor is everyone expected to perform at the same level of competence, but... All are expected to do their best as faithful stewards, end quote. You see, there, we don't see any hint of jealousy between the one who received the five and the, the one who received the two. There's no hint of jealousy. The five goes out and begins to work. The two goes out and begins to work. They, they both simply got busy to work, seeking to employ their master's talents to yield and increase. And Calvin has this to say about this parable in, in defining this yield of increase. He, he defines this yield of increase this way, quote, It is general usefulness which illustrates the glory of God, end quote. General usefulness. We obviously cannot add to what God owns because he owns everything, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But when we use what we have to the glory of God and for the good of others, especially for the building up of believers and the salvation of unbelievers, God considers it and calls it a gain to himself. His glory is increased around the world, at least in the visible manifestation of his glory through his people. It's an increase. He considers it an increase for himself. And this is the problem with the third servant. He doesn't use what was entrusted to him. He's lazy. He's not willing to seek to increase his master's talents, even though he knows that his laziness is going against the wishes of his master. He's playing it safe, or so he thinks, not willing to take a risk, but in the process, he's being disobedient. He's being unfaithful and lazy with what has been entrusted to his care. He doesn't use it to his master's glory. He doesn't use his material possessions, his spiritual possessions, his skills, his interests. He uses it, none of it in service to his master. He hides it and doesn't put it to use. 
God expects an increase, a gain, a yield with what he has entrusted to you and to me. He calls us to be good stewards, faithful stewards, excellent stewards. And finally, in verses 19 through 30, we, we have that God will come to settle accounts with his servants. God will come to settle accounts with his servants. The master comes back from his long journey, and it's time to settle accounts. It's the day of judgment. It's just what we read in Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment. And the servant given five talents has doubled it. He's made 100% profit. The second servant, likewise, he has doubled it and made it 100% profit. Even though after the profit, he still doesn't have as much as the first servant even started with. But they both have returns on investments. And they both hear the same words. Look at verses 21 and then look at verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 23, well done, good and faithful servant. Back up to 21. You have been faithful over a little. Verse 23, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. They both hear the exact same words. Even though they had different numbers of talents and and the yield was different. These servants have shown that they can be entrusted with what the master calls a little. You have been faithful over a little. Only God can call five million dollars a little. In the master's eyes, five talents and two talents are nothing. It's not about equality or fairness. They both used all they had been given to the best of their abilities And it resulted in different yields, but they both hear the same blessed words from the master. Well done. Excellent. Ian Duguid writes, quote, The successful steward is not the one who is entrusted with the most resources of whatever kind. It is the steward who is faithful with the resources with which he has been entrusted. Or to put it another way, success is not determined by how much but by how faithful. But the Holy Spirit does give a variety of gifts, and for those who have the same gifts, some have it to a greater degree than others. Many preachers are called and gifted, but you have to admit some are more skilled than others. Many are called to be teachers, but some are more skilled at teaching than others. There are those with the gift of service who have a greater ability to serve Sometimes due to more resources being given to them and entrusted to them by God. We once knew a family who had a $16 million house. Everybody raise your hand here who has a $16 million house. That's what I thought. And they had an apartment attached to this house. And they would use this separate apartment to house missionaries if they were on uh, leave, home leave. They would help seminary students who were in transition Uh, And they they used this apartment to help people, specifically believers, but not just believers, to help them out and to serve their Christian family. 
as I just demonstrated, not everybody has the same kind of resources for that kind of service. But that doesn't mean we don't therefore serve others. Simply because we cannot serve in the same way that somebody else can does not mean that therefore we do not serve at all. And yet, how often do we think that way? I don't have what they have, and therefore I can't serve. I've got to have, we, we, some, we look at other people, we compare what they have with what we have, we see how they're using it, and we, we doubt and fear that we cannot use it because we don't have the same things, and therefore we conclude that we can do nothing. What we have been given to invest is not the same and will not yield the same returns, but faithfulness will be rewarded. Grant Osborne comments, quote, Those who have lesser abilities in the church are still expected to use them for the glory of God and to expand the kingdom, end quote. Or as D.A. Carson puts it, quote, Grace never condones irresponsibility. Even those given less are obligated to use and develop what they have. End quote. The first two servants were eager and excited to display for the master how they had used their skill to increase the master's possessions. It makes me think of when my children were younger, not that they're old right now, but when they were younger, I would give them, I especially like to give Daniel Lego sets. And he would go and take that Lego set and he would build it, he would follow the instructions and put it all together, and then what do you think he did next? Daddy, look what I built! Well, who gave him that Lego set to begin with? I did. And he went, and he did what it was supposed to be used for, and then he comes back all excited, look, I did it. Look, I did it. Look, Father, look, Master, you gave me this. Here, I have five more talents. I have two more talents. Look, Daddy. But look at verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, a harsh strict man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid. This is not childlike fear. This is servile fear. I was afraid of you, and I went and hid your talents, your talents, in the ground. Here, take what is yours. The unfaithful servant begins by trying to, to justify his lack of faithful stewardship by blaming the master's character. It's almost like he's saying, it's your fault, God. I sinned, and it's all your fault. Because he did not have a childlike faith. He had a servile fear. I was afraid of you, therefore I was lazy and did not work. Do you see the inconsistency of that thinking? If you're afraid, you should have been working. He justifies his sin by appealing to the character of God. And just like in last week's parable with the five foolish virgins who, did not, who were not prepared, 
This is a person who outwardly has some profession of being a Christian, as he is identified as a servant of the master, just like the other two are. He looks no different externally. He has some knowledge of his master's character, yet he does not act, and he does not steward. He's on the defensive because he knows he did not do what he should have done. Calvin says that the gifts the Lord has given to us are for the purposes of yielding gain and that it is unreasonable to allow what God has given to us to remain buried or not used whatsoever. In other words, this externally looking child or servant of the master by his lack of action demonstrates that he's not a good and faithful servant. His heart has not been changed by the Holy Spirit. Look at the master's response, verse 26. You wicked and slothful or lazy servants. In the master's eyes, lack of stewardship and putting to use what we have for the glory of God is considered evil and lazy. Matthew Henry comments, he that is careless in God's work is near to him that is busy in the devil's work. There's no excuse or justification for the evil servant's laziness. So he's condemned. He's condemned in verse 30. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the judgment and that is the lake of fire. It is eternal separation and damnation from God. Hypocrites and apostates within the church and unbelievers outside the church all waste away what has been given to them by their master. Calvin writes, Christ means that there will be no excuse for the sloth of those who both conceal the gifts of God and waste their time in idleness, end quote. But for those who faithfully work and labor and steward for the glory of God in all things. They receive welcome. They receive abundance. You are faithful in a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master, but for the worthless servant, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The kingdom of Israel was stripped from Saul, who was a worthless servant, and it was given to David, a man after God's own heart. Not perfect, of course, but given to one who was truly regenerate, changed by the Holy Spirit, placed all of his faith, hope, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what was originally given by a gracious God to hypocrites, to apostates, to unbelievers, to be used for his glory, will be taken away from them and given to those who demonstrated by their actions that they truly had saving faith. Again, it comes back to James's distinction between a dead faith and a living faith. A living faith, true saving faith, works a dead faith, which is no faith at all, does not work. So, as we wait expectantly for the Lord's coming from last week's parable, 
taken together with today's parable, we wait expectantly while working for the glory of God and the good of others. So I simply ask you, what are you doing while waiting? To paraphrase Matthew Henry, every endowment of the mind that we have, our intelligence, our knowledge, our wisdom, and our learning is to be used in the service of God. Every enjoyment of this world that we have, power, influence, money, land, spouse, children, is to be used for the honor of Christ. All of the means of grace that God has given to us, the gospel, scripture in our own language, ministers, Sabbaths, the sacraments, the church, the household of God, are to be used to continue to commune with God and improve the spiritual graces and gifts through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts as we continually, daily expose our hearts, our soul, to the means of grace where God has attached his promise that I will work through these means to build you up in the Lord. To put it more simply, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I will add, but do something. (laughs) Not nothing. Be faithful with everything that God has given to you in every realm of life to which he has called you. To the single, be faithful in your singleness for the glory of God. To the married, be faithful in your marriage to the glory of God. To the children, be faithful as a child to the glory of God. To the parents, be faithful as a parent for the glory of God. To the grandparents, be faithful as a grandparent to the glory of God. To you who work, be faithful in your work for the glory of God of God, whether it is Chick-fil-A or Bank of America. Blue collar, white collar, it does not matter. God places each of us in different lots. And wherever he has placed us, he simply calls us to be faithful in that particular lot. When cooking, cook to the glory of God and give thanks that we have food. When on vacation, vacate to the glory of God. Rest and relaxation is good, good for the mind, good for the body. It reminds us of our finiteness, does it not? Sleep reminds us of our finiteness, that we are creatures, we are dust, we are clay. And so the Lord calls us to be faithful stewards, to to exhibit Christian character, exhibit godly talk. When we are at work, when we are at home, when we are at play, with our coworkers, with our superiors, with our inferiors, to look for opportunities to speak the truth to people, whether they are in or outside the church, to be known as a person of integrity and high moral character, not to bring glory to ourselves, The servants didn't say, look what I did to themselves. They said, here's what I've done, master. Take what is yours. We don't bring glory to ourselves, but we point people to the master, to Jesus Christ, who has bought and redeemed us and is redeeming a people and is working his good pleasure within us. And we tell them that we're simply servants who have been entrusted with a stewardship. 
If we have both of our eyes set on the present only, we are prone to fall into legalism. We are prone to, to take a focus upon our good works and what we are doing and look how amazing I am, forgetting about Christ, forgetting about his second coming, forgetting about he's going to settle accounts, forgetting that our true citizenship is not on this earth but in heaven and that we are to be watching if we have both eyes set on the future only. We will slip into antinomianism, no law. We will grow idle in working for the kingdom now. It doesn't matter what I do. I can even go on sinning so that God's grace may abound. No. And so between these two parables, Jesus reminds us, have one eye on the future, have one eye on the present. Be prepared and watching Christ is coming back steward faithfully with the resources that God has entrusted to you. It's a gift. God has entrusted me, a creature of dust with resources? Wow. That's amazing. That's grace. Amen and amen. Let us pray.